Yeah, I think uh, if you are just open to learn new things and accept all the challenges, then I think uh, it keeps you growing and it helps you a lot in your development. So I think one should be open to all the challenges and learning in every step of your life. Welcome to the Rethink They See Reframe series podcast where we highlight the voices and experiences of change makers working towards social equity within the South Asian community. In each episode, we interview people who are leading the way in areas such as education, healthcare, social justice, art, and entrepreneurship. I'm Arpita Sharma, your host and co-founder of Rethink Desi, a project to unpack what it means to be South Asian locally and globally. In this interview with Dr. Preeti Kaushik, we will explore her educational background, professional challenges, and the lessons that she's learned along the way. I personally found her story very inspiring because of the way that she has been determined, resilient, and seized opportunities amongst many obstacles that have come in her pathway. We're going to particularly delve into the challenges of pursuing a PhD as an older adult in India, as well as trying to get jobs within the tech industry. Let's dive in. Um, and today we have Dr. Preeti Kaushik here with us, who has completed her PhD in nano and microtechnology in Mysore University in Brno, uh, Czech Republic. Um, she's also recently completed her postdoctoral research at the Czech Academy of Sciences in Prague. Um, and she has just very, very recently moved to Norway, where she is figuring out her next steps. Um, so it's very nice to have you here today with us. Thank you, Arpita, for inviting me to this. Yeah, so you had a very like amazing career. And um, I wanted to start off by just asking you, um, what got you started on your journey? And can you share a little bit with us about what you have been doing, um, you know, in your PhD, as well as in your post, uh, postdoctoral research as well? First of all, I did all my basic education in India and uh, basic education and also my master's in electronics uh, from India. And then um, I started to work there in India itself uh, in different uh, engineering colleges. And uh, then uh, I decided to move to Czech Republic to pursue PhD. So basically I moved with my husband here. So first he got an opportunity to work uh, in PhD and then I moved along with him here. And then I also applied for PhD in different universities in uh, Brno. And uh, then luckily I got into Masaryk University. So I was uh, basically working with uh, nano and micro technologies. So what I did in master's was uh, electronics. And then uh, in PhD, I was working with uh, nano micro technologies. So it's a different field, but also it's like an interdisciplinary field, I would say, because it is a combination of uh, different streams like physics, electronics, chemistry. So it was like uh, after a long gap, like I did my master's almost like 15 years back. And uh, then I started my PhD. So 
So it was a long gap of studies. And uh, so it was uh, really challenging also at the beginning for me. Uh, So first few months, or I would say like one year, I felt like, okay, it's again like you have become a student and uh, you're learning. But uh, then, yes, uh, also uh, learning at every stage uh, makes you grow also. So it was uh, also a good thing. So I learned really uh, very new things. I was working on new technology here. So after five years of finishing my PhD, then I joined as a postdoc in Prague. And then I work, I started to work again on a very different field there also. I would say like, uh, like it was related because I was working in nanotechnology, but also it was very different from what I worked in PhD. So there were different things. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, this was also really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of the the work that you did in your PhD and kind of what your research was around when when you were doing your PhD? So yeah, so during my PhD, uh, uh, so I was working with the carbon nanomaterials basically. So nanomaterials are really like. Uh, small materials which work on the nano scale and also on the micro scale so yeah i was developing uh, carbon uh, nanotubes uh, for basically gas sensing purpose the main actually purpose of this was uh, to sense different toxic gases like ammonia and hydrogen nitrogen dioxide which are present in the environment which pollute the environment so there is a need actually to detect these harmful toxins gases at a very low concentration so that we can prevent them from polluting the environment. Uh, So for detection of these uh, toxic gases, I was uh, preparing these materials. So preparation of these materials is itself a very tedious task. So it took like two years. I was just optimizing the processes to grow these structures like the structures which could be useful for this particular application. The beginning two, three years were challenging because for me it was also a new topic which I involved on. It was like first studying a lot of literature about this, how it works and how the things go. So reading a lot of things, a lot of uh, articles and uh, then working on this technology, we were able to like... uh, develop these structures, modify them according to our need, and then use them for this particular application. Uh, Working on a nanoscale itself is a very different experience. Like I used to prepare these structures and then I used to uh, do the imaging of these structures. And imaging is like electron microscopy I used to work with. So I don't know if... uh, You have sometimes seen these electron microscopy pictures, how they look like. So so it's like uh, very difficult to imagine uh, what you look like physically something. And when you look at in a nanoscale or a microscale, how the things look. So it's a wonderful experience. And that was really fascinating, like how things work at the nanoscale, how they look and what we perceive when you see it physically. It made like really interesting somehow combine these nanotechnology and using them for real-time applications. 
Yeah, definitely. And I could see even the value of a technology like this and its use in places like India, where there is a, there are such high pollution levels, uh, and being able yeah, to yeah. Uh, uh, detect the types of pollutants in the environment and then figure out how to address them. Um, but I so um, I would also love to know, kind of, in your fellowship, what was your what was your research focus um, and what you were you doing because it was slightly different than what was in your PhD. So yeah, so postdoc was also based on nanotechnology I was working, uh, but I was using a different set of materials and then I was working for different applications also there. So, so like I worked with carbon nanotubes in my PhD, but uh, in my postdoc, I started to work with uh, a different carbon-based material only, but it's graphene. So it's nowadays called a wonder material, graphene, because it has this uh, unique uh, structure. And because of this structure, it can be used in different applications, different electronic, mechanical. I got a really good opportunity to work with this material. And now it is being used in all types of applications we can imagine of course, for environment, then for even for aerospace, for like all types of industries it is being used. So, yeah, so I started to work with graphene. If you see graphite is actually a thick sheet of carbon, very thick. But uh, when you like cut it into different layers, you go down to very, very thin layers and then you get to graphene. So graphene is really like, uh, graphene can be one layer, two layer, three layer. So what I was working was on single layer. So it is a very thin sheet of carbon atoms. So I would say uh, the thickness of this uh, graphene is 0.7 nanometers. So it's really very small. You really like, need a very good electron microscope to get at the nanoscale. So yeah. Okay, so you wouldn't small. even be able to see it without a... Uh... No, no, with your eyes, impossible. And also with an optical microscope, you can't see. You have to uh, really need an electron microscope to look into that. So that's what I was telling you before that uh, when you look at these materials at a nanoscale, you see a completely different world. I mean, you can't even imagine what it could be because when I used to look at those images, those electron micrographs, they look re really wonderful. That's a really different world you see. So let me let me start by just asking you. You know, um, you when you were growing up um, in India, um, and you were kind of figuring out um, your pathway of study or what you wanted to do. Um, how did you make the decision um, first, even initially, for uh, for your studies that you wanted to do? You know. You wanted to study technology or you wanted to study engineering and in some capacity okay so like in my time i would say uh it was not so common like everybody doing engineering or all this stuff and uh, when i finished my 12th so after that uh, yeah i was thinking what to do and so it was like in my family, there was some cousins who did this uh, 
electronics who studied electronics and they got really good uh, jobs and so then uh, my father said okay then it's good you should also go for electronics so i said okay then okay i can try so first uh, i thought of trying for some engineering so for that uh, i had to pass some entrance exam also i tried it but i didn't pass and so i decided to go for like a simple bsc instead of like for btech you need to pass that exam so uh, yeah then i got into bsc electronics so i did bsc and after that uh, i applied for entrance so i applied actually for masters in maths and masters in electronics and i got into electronics uh, good uh, like score then i got into electronics so it was more like influential from the people around uh, you what they did and how they were successful after finishing my uh, bsc then i did msc in electronics the same yeah so initially when i started it was this but uh, in the beginning i didn't get to uh, know much the first year but after that i started to develop interest then so yeah it was interesting for me later not at the beginning i would say yeah so it as a result of kind of doing the work um and and learning more things about it then you started to develop an interest in in doing yes, the yes. Um, yeah it was like this hmm what um So when you were in high school were you interested in in technology at all or did you have other kind of interests or passions or were you just kind of studying um and trying to just pass everything Yes I would say um during my high school I didn't think much about like what I will do in future or what it will be so it was like okay just I will pass and then we will see what to do but um, yeah so in my 12th then because then you have to actually think about like what you have to do so that was a the time then start think like what to do because uh, then i had to decide like whether i should go for my arts for commerce or uh, science subjects so yeah then i decided to go for science Yeah that was actually also my interest going for science was my interest. Yeah so I had interest in science so I opted for science after my 10th but yeah after 12th I was like clueless so it was like more dependent on what what they did and then according to that <laughs> I decided what should I go for. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and in India um you did all your schooling in a private school right um or did you go to public schools Yeah so it was a private school mm-hmm. for me um I remember up until first grade I was in a private Catholic school um and then I then I came to the US so I I'm not sure like um did you go to um uh, like an English medium Catholic school or- Yes yes I was also in Catholic school so we say it like convent school in India yeah so from 5th uh, standard to my 10th standard I was in uh, convent school so also this was like I changed like schools because my father used to get transferred every few years 
so yeah, so before shift, it was. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like your father and mother and like what they did? Yeah, so my father was actually uh, working with the Indian Railways. So he was working as an engineer and uh, yeah, so he used to get transfer every three, four years. So we had to move like from one place to another. So I remember like uh, the first place that I remember was when I was small, we were in Agra. So I think that time I wasn't even studying, but then uh, after some time we moved to Chasi and uh, there, I don't remember exactly the number of years we stayed, maybe two years or something like this. And yeah, I was very small. Then uh, in Jhansi also, I was uh, studying in some uh, Catholic school. And then uh, we moved to uh, a small place in Maharashtra. It was Badnera. So we used to study in Amravati. So these are two different towns. So we used to commute between Amravati and Badnera by train or by bus. So yeah, that I remember very uh, nicely because I was in fifth standard when I moved there or fourth, fourth year. So yeah, so from fourth to 10th standard, uh, we were there in that place. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and so you traveled a lot when you were younger and then when you started getting to like middle school, high school, you were you were in the same uh, same area studying for long periods of time. Yes, um, yes. And mm-hmm. then you um, and then after you graduated, you got your MSc. Um, and why did you decide to go into teaching after you finished your MSc rather than kind of going down the tech route? Can you share a little bit about? Okay, that? yeah. So after finishing my master's, actually, I was. Uh, more interested to work in some companies and also i was trying after that to get into some company company but um, unfortunately i couldn't get into some so i tried at a few places yeah but i didn't get into any so then um, i got this opportunity from the college where i studied so i was actually uh, I did my uh, bachelor's in uh, Ambala, a town in Haryana in India. So I did my bachelor's there. And then uh, I got a call from my teacher. Uh, and he told me that we have, a, we have a position here. So if you are interested to join here, it's a like one year contractual position. So if you want, you can join. So, because I didn't think of going into teaching, uh, <laughs> but then I got this opportunity. So I told him, okay. And at that time I was on vacations. I remember uh, we were in Shimla <laughs> with family. And then I uh, told him that, okay, I will just let you know when I return. So then I returned, thought about this because I was not at all interested to go into teaching, honestly. <laughs> so uh, then uh, everybody told me, okay, you are getting this opportunity. Uh, my parents told me that, yeah, it's a good opportunity. So meanwhile, you can keep on trying in the companies if you want, but this is a good opportunity. So you should go. 
I said, okay, then let's give it a try. So yeah, I joined there. And at the beginning, it was really difficult. I mean, because, you know, the students I was teaching were like, really the age difference between me and them was not really big. They were, I just uh, did my master's and they were like uh, from uh, BSc. I think, I don't I got the final year student, so BSc third year. <laughs> so just, I think, one or two years younger than me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a different experience. And it, at the beginning, I was really very nervous also to teach. I mean, <laughs> also, you have to prepare yourself every time when you have to go for a lecture. Definitely, you should be completely prepared. <laughs> so at the beginning, it took time for me to get adjusted to that and then yeah so this is how I started my teaching journey after this opportunity <laughs> <laughs> so at first it was difficult um what got so after did it become easier over time um what made you can like what wh why continue down the the teaching route for you Yes. So once I got into that, then I found it like interesting. Okay. But it was like, not even I would say in the first year, because that position I had for one year only. And uh, still I was thinking like, okay, I don't know if I will stay in teaching for a long time. So I was still trying for some uh, companies only. I didn't try for any teaching that time also after finishing that position. So I was still trying for some companies, but I didn't get into any actually. I got into some really small company in Noida for a few months, maybe four months or five months. But that was also not like uh, which I liked, which I wanted to work with. So yeah, then um, I think for one year more, I stayed like without anything. So yeah. And then I got another teaching opportunity from the university where I did my master's. So I think it was in 2003. Yeah. So way back. So yeah, uh, I got again um, call from there that we have a position here. It is also like a, a contractual position. So if you are interested, you can join. And I was like, okay, I don't have anything now to do. So it's better to go and join there. So I joined there. It was for one year. So yeah, then I started to again work there. So, and that time I was teaching master's students, but that was uh, interesting actually that year. Yeah, I found like, yeah. Um, okay, so it sounds like you, you struggled a lot after you graduated with your master's in terms of finding like the the career um, that you were hoping for, where you yeah. were able to get teaching opportunities, but you really struggled with being able to get a position within any sort of technology company that that you were interested in. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, hmm. so then, what? Um, at what point did you decide? Um, you wanted to do um, like a, a PhD and um, kind of were you because um, you you were continuing to work and you were kind of struggling to to be able to land any sort of um, of job and then um, 
Yeah. Like what happened in between those periods and then you deciding you wanted to go down the PhD route? So I actually uh, did my PhD after a very long time because uh, I uh, got this job in 2004. Then I got married, did again MTech and then started to work in engineering colleges. So my husband and me both were working there together in the same colleges. And then my husband actually was applying for a PhD abroad somewhere. So he started to apply at a lot of different universities. And then he got here in Czech Republic. And then I moved along with him. So, yeah, we left our jobs there in India and moved, we moved here. I thought, okay, I will go. I will try for some job there. Meanwhile, he'll start his PhD. So he started and then I started to apply for some positions there in Czech Republic. But the biggest problem I was facing was the language barrier because they have a different language and most of the jobs were available in um, Czech language. So it was really difficult to find a position. So meanwhile, okay, yeah, that was also a thing. So then I started to apply for PhD positions there. So I thought it's better to go for some PhD then, yeah. So, yeah, so after I think few months, I also got into a PhD position. I got this PhD and then I started to work there. Was there anything that really helped you in terms of even like applying and getting into a PhD program that, um, that you might like want to recommend to people for guidance, like who, who are seeking guidance on how to approach their own PhD journey? Yeah, sure. So I would like to share my experience and I think it should be generally common for all, like for a PhD applicant. So the procedure I would like to share, because if you're applying for a master's and a PhD, these are two different things. In master's, you directly apply for uh, like some course and you get enrolled into it. But for PhD, it doesn't work this way. So for PhD, you have to first some person, some possible uh, according to your like, research, what you want to do. So just contact that particular professor in the university. And if uh, they agree, then they will tell you to apply for uh, like uh, officially for the position. So it works this way. So it's not like directly you can apply for a position. So first you have to contact a professor there and then uh, you can, then it becomes like easy that you will be definitely uh, enrolled there. So once the professor agrees. The way how it uh, works if you want to go for a PhD. Yeah, but uh, it's like you have to contact a lot of people. It's not like you apply, you write to one person or two persons and you will get a positive reply. So you have to keep a patience, just keep on applying. And yeah, sometime you will surely get a <laughs> positive response. Yeah. And so you, you had to really go through kind of multiple different processes in order to find your pathway. And it wasn't necessarily um, like exactly what you were expecting either, because I think you initially were hoping to be able to get into some tech industries, but 
as a result of the language barriers, you you really struggled. Um, yeah. But then mm-hmm. you were able to find this alternate route in doing the um, doing a PhD, and you were able to uh, through a lot of perseverance and effort connect with some individuals who were actually doing research in line with your interests, and then um, and then be able to um, to to do the application and get into the PhD. Yeah. So it sounds like you, um, it sounds like you are really, um, while you struggled a lot, you were also extremely bright and intelligent and you, you were able to kind of use whatever networks you had access to, to, and people recognized and saw in you um, really amazing qualities, and so they they identified you as someone that that would be great at teaching and um, have the the ability to like push other students forward. Um, and and so like that university setting has been really um, has been a very um, great like a something that has really empowered and nurtured your your ability to grow um, in terms of your work? Yeah, I think uh, if you are just open to learn new things and accept all the challenges, then I think uh, it keeps you growing and it helps you a lot in your development. So I think one should be open to all the challenges and learning in every step of your life it doesn't matter whether you are young or old you should always keep on learning (laughs) yeah um and it um especially for you because you you traveled to another country um and you actually had to you had a lot of language barriers as well because yeah um, you in the Czech Republic, it's um, it's a very different language than English or Hindi. Um, you probably speak probably multiple languages. So, uh, how many languages yeah. do you speak? Then English, of course. And I know a little bit of Marathi also because I have spent a lot of time in Maharashtra, did my schooling there. So I can understand and a little bit speak now. Marathi, and uh, I think I can understand a little bit Punjabi also. (laughs) A little bit, and uh, yes, I can say now I know a little bit basic of Czech language also, just some basics. (laughs) I can't speak. (laughs) And maybe now I will start to learn Norwegian. But language learning is challenging, actually, for a person like me. It's not so easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, side note, I've been watching, like, these YouTube shorts, and I found someone who, like, hacked this. So he basically was like, if you practice 40 minutes a day, I I guarantee you'll, like, know, like, a language in a year. And his strategy is you spend 10 minutes writing in that language, 10 minutes reading in that language, 10 minutes listening to that language, and 10 minutes speaking in that language every single day. And then in a year, you'll be able to, like, you'll be fluent in that language. 
I think so, yes, for sure. This way you can learn. And also the best way to learn a language is to like, if you learn at least a little bit of basics, just start to communicate. Just start to communicate. So if you start to communicate, you will for surely learn it quickly. That's the, I think, the uh, quickest way to learn a language. But yeah, you should also have a big motivation also. Like <laughs> for me, I always lack that motivation, I think. And that's why I couldn't learn Czech language properly. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So like getting a PhD after 35, um, mm. what is that experience? Because um, you, you moved abroad to get your PhD. But I, I think um, the struggle for a lot of um, a lot of folks in India um, might be different. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, if you want to uh, get into a PhD, into a really good university in India, after a certain age, I would say, like, especially after 35, it's really very difficult because it's highly competitive there to get into a good university you should pass some entrance exam there, have a good rank, and then only you can get admission into that particular PhD course. Yeah, this is, I think, um, the biggest challenge if you want to pursue in India, PhD after a certain age. But uh, when I came here, okay, I had like few months, I would say three, four months of time, but it's not so big. So it was, I would say, not so difficult for me to get into a PhD in Czech Republic. It was uh, way more easier, although I didn't try in India, but uh, I can say by looking into other people's experiences, also my husband was trying there in India after this age, so it was very difficult. He tried in IITs also, but uh, yeah, it's IITs I think just out of question. So. But uh, even getting into good state universities also is very difficult. So, yeah, I think in India it's a big challenge because of the population. But uh, if you move abroad, it's uh, definitely way much easier. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that, that might be helpful for folks to know if they're ever considering doing a PhD or they're they're struggling with yeah. uh, the yeah. paths that they want to go down later in life. Yeah, because it was really, uh, I would say, like a very uh, good opportunity that I got here. So much of exposure I got. Uh, I was traveling around like Europe and also I traveled to U uh, US for the conferences. So I really got good opportunities while this PhD for traveling. So very good exposure, I would say. So having kind of just completed your your post um, postdoctoral fellowship in, or postdoctoral re research in the Czech Republic, and now having just moved to Norway, um, what like how are you kind of processing this and thinking about what you want to do in the future? So. Yeah. Also, I would like to mention one more thing, just like you mentioned now, postdoctoral research, researcher or fellowship. So I don't know how do you take this as postdoctor? How do you take this? Like, is it like a degree or 
How do you understand this postdoc? So, so I work at a research center. So normally what happens for us is we hire postdoctoral fellows um, and they basically come in and they're doing research that they have proposed. Um, and we're, we're like paying them for like their year of research. Um, and then they will do presentations on it. And it's usually in line with work that we're doing. Um, and so we're, uh, we will like then use their research for whatever work that we might be, um, we might be doing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, that's, that's the correct thing. But uh, I would say in India, most of the people think that this postdoc is, again, another degree. It's not, I have seen like, uh, so they have a confusion for this, that postdoc is again, you are studying something there, but actually it's not so. So this is again a research, what you are doing based on the project, what you're working on. So there is a big difference. PhD, you are studying there something, you have to finish your thesis complete your thesis and then you get a degree but in postdoc you don't get a degree there right you are working on a project there either it could be your own project or this is like funded by university could be anything so yeah i just wanted to make it clear because in india i hear like people saying oh you're studying postdoc i said not studying it's not a study <laughs> so just <laughs> wanted to say this about the postdoc and phd yeah that okay. might be really helpful to know because if most people aren't getting phds uh, then they don't really understand kind of how yeah. a phd or anything after a phd works um, hmm. yeah do you my personal experience has been with people I've talked to who've gotten their PhDs, like the next step immediately after is usually doing a postdoc or looking mm -hmm. for an assistant professorship position. Um, and so, or they do the postdoc, they do one or two, and then they look for an assistant professor position. Is that your experience? Yes. Usually like in Europe, it's like this, like after a PhD, if you want to stay in the academics, people usually go for postdoc first. Like they will do for two years, three years, five years. So, and then they try to find for some academic position, like some assistant professor or this. Um, but yeah, for getting uh, this assistant professor position here, it's not so easy. You should really have a very good uh, research profile. So, and that's why... Uh, getting these positions in Europe is very difficult for assistant professor. So usually what people do, they keep on doing postdoc because it's easy to get into a postdoc comparatively. So they keep on doing for long years, like five years, seven years. But the thing is, it's a very unstable job. There is unstability. You don't know like uh, for how long you will be here. It depends on like your project funding. So until the um, funding lasts, you will stay. And once it finishes, you have to leave. So it's a very sad part of science, I would say, research. And I think there should be something done about this because uh, after studying so much, you're spending like so many years. You are, um, right, so spending so much of time and still you are like... Uh, you have a question mark what to do what to do after every few years so this is a very sad part of this 
science, yeah. And getting into some permanent position or tenure track position is very difficult. And that's why the other way is now what I'm thinking is like to move, switch to an industry. At least you will have a job stability and you have to not think about like uh, another job for next few years. And it's, so it's, yeah, better to go into some industry. In Norway, are there still similar language issues or do you feel like there is more, there may be more opportunities to do tech um, in Norway um, as compared to the Czech Republic? So here, uh, see, I haven't yet started to work here, so I'm still looking for a job. But what I see here and what my husband tells like in his workplace, that people speak uh, English, more people speak English. Everybody, most of the people know English here. And even in some offices, you go government offices, everywhere people speak English. So at least I would say the language barrier here is uh, less as compared to Czech Republic. And uh, getting into a job here. So like, I would like to go for industry first. And yeah, later if I don't get up with anything, then definitely I would also go for some research or position like in postdoc or but um, yeah here I think because you know my profession is like I can work only in the English language whatever I will do research here is in the English language so there are uh, jobs uh, available according to my profession so I think I shouldn't face this language barrier at this point of time now here yeah okay so I'm um, I'm excited to hear like what what ends up happening next in your journey, and uh, maybe we'll have you back for another episode in the future when you can tell us about it. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, for for folks who might be interested in asking you more questions about. Uh, about your journey or guidance on like applying to PhDs abroad and that process, mm -hmm. um, how might they be able to connect with you? Great. Yeah, I would really love to help anyone who is interested. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or wherever any social media. So I would love to help them. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, and we hope to see you again in a future podcast. Thank you, Arpita, for inviting me for this podcast. And it was really interesting to revive all my memories, back memories. And yeah, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you for joining me today for this conversation with Dr. Preeti Kaushik. If you learned anything from this conversation or are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is a wonderful zero-cost way to support us. Also, please subscribe to our podcast on both Spotify and Apple. And on both of them, you can leave us up to a five-star review. If you have any questions you would like to ask me about the podcast or any guests you would like me to bring on in future episodes, please share them in the comments below or send me a DM on our Instagram channel, Rethink They See. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful day, folks.